And keeping secrets in the business world is big business. You might not know it, but companies protect their secrets with everything they have. And there are, in big companies, there are departments of people that they're tasked with holding on to company, valuable company product, because other people want to steal it. And it's not just in, uh, in business, but in the government and all kinds of uh, enterprises, people are trying to maintain secrets. Now, that's a good thing in a business, especially when people want to take your secrets and exploit them. But when we deal with our souls, it's a completely different matter. What's good in business is not good in our, with our souls. Now, I want to ask you to open your Bibles with me. If you have a Bible with you, open it to James chapter 5. And if you use the uh, paperback Bibles that are under the chair seat in front of you, that will be page 839. That's actually what I use now. I wanted to be one of you. So I stopped using my big leather Bible that I had for years and years and years, and I just started using one of these paperback Bibles. And now it's all written up. It's got notes in it. I've used it for about a year now. And, it's, and I've had to put tape around the edges because it's falling apart. These are not made for, you know, long use. It's like, isn't that like everything? It's like th everything's throwaway. Sad. Uh, so, yeah, commentary on our consumer society. You just got that for free. All right, James 5. We're going to start reading in verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call on the elders of the church to pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So there's a lot in there. We're just going to look at one sentence. And it's sort of the money line of this passage. There's a lot of wisdom in those, believe it or not, in these, these uh, five verses here, four or five. Verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, <clears throat> this is one of those hard-to-swallow parts of the Bible. This is not a part of the Bible that generally people, like I say, put on a note card and put it on their refrigerator. You don't, I've never been in anyone's home. I've been in hundreds of homes where people have Bible verses on the refrigerator. Never seen this one. It's like that one in Hebrews that says, uh, our God is consuming fire. You don't just see that one on bumper stickers, right? We don't see this one, but this is this verse. And the thought that it carries is so life-transforming that it would, it, when we finish talking today, you're going to be shocked that no one has ever put this on a bumper sticker because it's so powerful. And there's lots of people who have experienced the difference that taking that 
I, this idea that I'm going to introduce to you seriously can make in their lives. Literally millions of people, it's changed their lives. And so there's a, there's a saying that I, I borrowed. I heard it from some friends in recovery in, in uh, AA. And they said this, and this is the point I want you to take away today. You're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. That's part of the message that James is saying in this passage. He's saying that secrets that we hold can keep us sick. And the way to healing, the way to wholeness, the way to life is bringing them out in the open. Now that isn't, that's not, I just say in my own life, that has not been a welcome thought. And at times it's probably not in your life. But it can become an idea that we value highly if we just understand it a little bit better. So I want to try to explain a couple of things to you today. Here's what, here's what I want you to consider. In, in AA, the fifth step is this, and I'm going to add a little thought to it. And the fifth step is you go through alcoholics, uh, the 12 steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. The fourth step, you, you uh, make a, a, a moral inventory, a courageous moral inventory. I don't know if that's exactly the right word. Pardon? Fearless moral inventory. And then... Once you've done that, you confess, that's what it says, is you admit to ourselves, to God, and to another person or another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. I want to add, in our struggles. Because the secrets that we keep are about the wrongs that we do and the struggles that we face. And so when James says, Confess your sins to one another. All through the Bible, it includes the struggles that we have. It's not just the moral wrongs where we're doing, we violated some rule. But it has to do with the struggles we have, it just not being at our best all the time. And and that's one of the things. We We don't just hide our wrongs. We hide our weaknesses and our struggles with those weaknesses. And James says that... We shouldn't do that. That it harms us when we do that. So, I know I've talked to people about this, and they've, they've said, we're only as sick as our secrets. How, how can that be true? How on earth can that be true? Like you said, John, in business, it's, 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 it's crucial that you keep secrets. And there are certain secrets the government has to keep. Yeah, but institutions and businesses and enterprises are different, like I said, than our souls. And all through the Bible, this is stressed over and over and over. And I'm going to just give you a couple of lines of proof, starting with things that, that all of us believe. Have you ever heard the saying that the best disinfectant is Jay? I thought there'd be like 15 or 20 people would jump in on that one. Already I can feel the resistance in the room. All right. But Jay's with me. Thank you, Jay. Say that again. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. 
Have you ever found that to be true? You can see on, on buildings where certain times of the year, the sun, it's warm, but the sun isn't on the building, and you'll see like some uh, mold and things growing on it. As soon as the sun hits it, it just dries it up, goes away. Sunlight, no, not cleansing and scrubbing, just sunlight. That's what James is saying. He's saying, let the sunlight in on your wrongdoing and your weaknesses. And it will change everything. Secondly, I'll give you an interesting, I always I find these interesting facts. There's a Columbia University professor named Michael Slepian, and he did some research about keeping secrets. And I'm only going to give you two of the, these interesting experiments that he did. What he was trying to determine was, is it really true that keeping secrets affects people negatively? And so he tried to find ways to, you know, to, to, to measure that. And so one of the things that he did was he, he like this is an interesting uh, experiment, he took a picture of a mountain that it, it, it had a, a hill. It was very steep, a road that went up a hill. And he asked people, he asked groups of people, all these questions. But one of the questions was, could you describe how steep that road and that hill is? And what he found was people who were hiding things described that hill as very extremely steep. And people who said that they're generally honest described it in a much, much more modest term. Then he took it into not just the realm of perception, but he took it into the area of actual, is there a physical manifestation of this? And so they, they put boxes in a room and of course, they, they surveyed these people that, you know, when you're trying to do an experiment, you can't let people know what you're trying to determine. And so they had groups of people fill out these long uh, surveys that, that helped them to see were they people who were hiding things or not. And they asked them some very direct questions. And this question was really interesting. They had the, all these boxes and they asked people to move the boxes from here to here. And what they found Afterwards, when they asked people to describe, you know, uh, how hard it was, and they actually measured what people did, is they found that within the, the control group of people, there were people in there who had been unfaithful to their partner, and people that, that had been unfaithful and that were honest. And the people who had been unfaithful and hadn't been honest and forthcoming with their partner got tired more quickly and did less work than the people who were honest. Over and over and over, they said that, they, they saw that there's some kind of burden that you carry that actually wears you out. There's not just a perception impact with lack of honesty, but there's actually a physical impact to lack of honesty. Now, in, uh, in Psalm 32, David says this. There's a, 
very famous psalm of, of confession. And it starts this. It says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And he goes on to talk about the benefits of that. Even David experienced, because his, you know, he's historically a very well-known figure who was a, you know, quite a, uh, a pious, straightforward, good guy, uh, widely widely admired, but he got into some trouble, and he hid it, and then he admitted it, and he's describing the difference when he publicly or, you know, privately confessed what he had done, and he confessed his publicly, if you know the story well. And uh, we're only as sick as our secrets. There's a woman uh, I came across her writing, and she's a Canadian woman, and she struggled much of her life, and she's in her 30s, and she's a writer. She struggled with alcoholism, and she, uh, I found this account of her working through the difference that being honest could make in her life. So, she said, when I got sober after my first major relapse, it happened because I had a very brief moment when it became obvious that my lying was like ballast weighing me down. This weight was preventing me from becoming well. My addiction was heavier to carry than whatever consequences would occur as the result of me telling the truth. Admitting to drinking could mean me becoming homeless, losing custody of my son, and a divorce. Some pretty significant consequences. The lies could hide me for a while longer, and I could stave off having those things happen, and she put in parentheses, but they would, because no addict just figures out the way out of the bog of addiction and denial without suffering every consequence and taking down her loved ones with her. But whatever breakthrough I had at that moment tipped the scales in favor of the truth. So I told the truth and I got sober. And I read, I spent some time this week reading stories of people wrestling with different kinds of addictions and every one of them said one of the key turning points in their finding sobriety and healing and and uh, just transformation was learning to become honest. And it's like one person said, it's like, this is the real me. And then this is the me that everybody knows. That's not the real me. And when I be begin to courageously describe the real me and live out of who I really am. This is very Christian, this idea here. 
my life begins to change. But when I maintain this image, this, this cardboard cutout of who I am, I stay sick. I stay in my wounds. I stay in my troubles. That's what James is saying here. And so confessing you know, our secrets, which means our weaknesses and our wrongdoing, our sins and our struggles, means we will begin to find freedom. It means we'll experience forgiveness because many people forget what it likes, who've been believers for a while, forget what it's like to feel forgiven. The first time you experience forgiveness can go on and on and on in your life. But we forget what happened to bring us to that point. And, it, and it, we, we're invited to be honest because, as I'll say in a moment, we're loved. We are loved beyond what we deserve and what we can even ever comprehend fully. And there's no risk in letting God and other people know who we really are because we're, we're going to be loved either way. But when we live in this more out of this false cardboard cutout of ourselves, we, that cardboard cutout becomes a filter for all kinds of good things. Things that God is sending our way get filtered through that false cardboard cutout and it stops there. Our, our feeling of it. it doesn't change who we are. We're a beloved child of God. But it changes our experience of it. And that's the thing we need the most. We need to know I'm really forgiven. So we, got, we find freedom. We really find forgiveness when we're honest. We mend relationships when we're honest. And one of the most precious things that happens when we're really honest is we find human connection that we've been longing for. You understand that? One of the things that people, when we're, we experience when we struggle with being this person behind the cardboard cutout is we feel lonely in a crowded room, in even a good marriage, in a you know, reasonably healthy family, in a, in a good group of friends, in a workplace where people care about you and are, and are actually, you know, for you, you will feel alone to some meaningful degree and you will feel disconnected and you will not feel understood. These, are all, these people, I read story after story of people who describe how their lives change and one of the biggest things was the human connection that they began to experience. That is a precious thing. You know what I mean? And, but, but here's the thing, I, 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 as I read these stories, everybody said similar things. But, and maybe you're thinking this, these are objections that come to your mind. But John, I'm really afraid. If I'm honest, a certain kind of matter that we don't talk about in polite company will hit the fan. And I'm afraid of what it will cost. And then somebody else will say, I'm just too proud. I am just too stinking proud to admit my weaknesses and the wrongs that I do. I am. And other people will say, I just feel too ashamed. 
I feel like if I say this, I'm going to get the scarlet whatever put on my forehead. And I'll be branded. And, you know, I'll be that person and labeled. A lot of times we, that's because we label ourselves. We don't live as beloved children of God in Christ. We, we, live, we live like we, what we were and not who we are. But if we can get over this hump, if we really believe the gospel, we can get over this hump of fear and pride and shame because the gospel deals with those things. It, it offers us the resources nothing else does. Nothing. So, in 1 Peter 2.24, Peter writes, who saw Jesus crucified, he said, he himself carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to those sins and live for righteousness by his wounds we are healed. And he's quoting from a passage in Isaiah that the writer, Isaiah the prophet, accomplished on the cross and he applies them to every dimension of our lives where there's brokenness. And he says, our emotional brokenness, Jesus suffered for that. Our health, our relational brokenness, our, our brokenness before God, and, and every other con uh, conceivable kind of impact and consequences of what brokenness does, the, the, the kind of stuff that we, that we work really hard to hide, those are all things that we hide. And what Jesus did at the cross, you know, this is why churches keep these symbols everywhere, and, and some people, it, 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 doesn't, it, it isn't a symbol that has any, anything warm or powerful or good or meaningful to them because they've been hurt by, by people who represent it. But if you understand it, it is the thing that we need to hear. Because Jesus did courageously for us what we wouldn't do ourselves. He was tempted to run from this destiny he had to suffer and die in our place. But he, he didn't. He resisted that temptation and he allowed himself to go through that whole experience where he suffered and died in our place. And when he suffered and died, what he said over and over was, if you put your faith in me and you commit your life to me, the power of what I did there on the cross will break into your life. And that which is crushing you, I'll take. And the life that I have, I'll give you. And the identity that I have and the relationship I have and the destiny I have, I give to you as a gift. And he openly said, you need me. What I'm doing, I'm doing for you. And 
We can only find that new identity and that new destiny and that freedom from our past if we openly identify with him. And to the degree that we conceal parts of ourselves that he's already exposed. Do you understand? When he died on the cross, he said, we're, you're, it's saying you're a mess. Nobody likes to admit that. But it, it, the cross says we're a mess. All of us are a mess. Humanity is a mess. And we may look at one another and think, oh, you know, when you step on this stage that makes you a foot higher than everybody else, your mess must be way greater than the people who were standing right down here, right? And then if you magnify it by literally going up on a mountain, there's some people you think are really messed up. But you look at it from God's perspective. Have you ever seen the earth from orbit? It just looks like a flat piece of paper. You can't see these variations, these human variations. So Jesus, he condemned our sin. And he, he says, I don't want you to carry that anymore. I carried it. And the more we say who we are, we find real freedom in life and forgiveness for who we really are. But the more we stay behind the cardboard cutout, the more we filter out what's really ours through faith in Jesus and what we're claiming, but we don't experience. And people go, why don't I experience more? It's not always, this isn't always the answer, but often it's the answer is, you're not living out of the real you. The real you is loved by God, but the real you has struggles and wrongs. And Christians are supposed to confess their sin. Even if I'm a new person in Christ, like in, in, in Acts 19, all, there was a giant revival. And the, the power of God was moving in incredible ways. And there's this, Paul cast these demons, or these people tried to cast demons out in, in the name of Paul and Jesus. And it, it, and it just kind of blew up in their faces, these Jewish exorcists. And when that became known, it says the name of Jesus was held in high honor. And those who had believed came and publicly confessed their evil deeds, even the sorcery and magic and stuff that they were involved in. These were believers. So believers confess their sin, not just when they come to Christ, but it's an ongoing thing because they're living out of who they are. I'm a new creation in Christ, and I'm not going to hide my weaknesses. I'm not going to hide my wrongdoing. So do you have that, really, do you have that resource in your life? Is, is the, the promise of Jesus that if you admit and open and uncover yourself, have you experienced his promise of covering you and giving you something new that you don't have to be ashamed of and that gives you courage and boldness to live? Like, this is who I am, baby. <laughs> and the, and the, the freedom and excitement that comes with that, do you have that? Or is that just kind of in your head and you live more than you'd like to admit behind the cardboard cutout. And then constantly face self-recrimination and self-doubt. Maybe the gospel doesn't work. Maybe it works for everybody but me. What else could be wrong with me? I mean, all those things are part of the package that we struggle with. If we just don't get this simple thing. And in fact, there are so many promises around this thing what we're going to do in a second is we're going to close with taking the Lord's Supper. But I, I want you to understand, when we take the Lord's Supper, 
Communion preaches the gospel to us. Just what I said to you a moment ago. This table says, this bread is the broken body of Jesus for you. Done for you. Because you're broken. And he takes your brokenness into himself and he gives you wholeness in return. Peace, healing, completeness. And the sin that we committed, it says the wine is a picture of the blood that was poured out to form a new covenant between God and us. Through the shed blood of Jesus, he reconciles us to God and it, and it puts away our past because salvation has three senses or three tenses and all through the New Testament. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Over and over and over, those tenses are used in the writings of the New Testament. And the past means you are forgiven of all that you've done that tends to label you and stamp you as, as broken. You get, that's gone. You are no longer labeled. Like the New Testament, even when it describes sin, it doesn't, even though it gets translated this way, trust me, poor, this is a sign of how poor the translations are. It's just rough to read it accurately. The New Testament does not call people sinners. It doesn't label people. We shouldn't label people. It calls people, it says, people who sin. Do you understand the distinction between you're a sinner and people who sin? It doesn't call people liars says people who lie. And there's a difference. One is an identity statement. One is just a statement of behavior. And we're never just what we do. We're way more than what we do. And in Christ, we are new. We're forgiven. We're righteous. But we do sin. We do lie. We do steal. We do, we do commit immorality. We do things that we shouldn't do that aren't in accord with our real nature in Christ. So we, we own it. That's what this says. That's what this table says. But what the church has historically done when it comes to the table of the Lord is there's, there's, there's confession before we come. There's confession. And I'm going to lead you just in a simple prayer of confession in a moment. And some folks are, I'll pull this over here. Some folks are going to come up and they're going to they're going to take the the bread and the wine and they're going to stand at, at these aisles and if you don't want to come up you don't need to if you want to you're welcome to no questions asked no judgments and then if there there might be a few hardy souls who are still ready if anybody wants to hang around and in small groups or up front, you want to confess your weaknesses or sins to a person. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more of that. We're going to do that after communion. But it's that we're going to dismiss everybody. And whoever wants to hang around can do that. Whoever doesn't, you feel free to go. So, make sure I got my last point. Uh, what, we ex what God says is... 
If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have connection, community, fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And in that same paragraph, John writes this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins, or to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So everything you've done, all the things that you do that tempt you to label yourself or let other people label you or let the culture, just the pressure of the culture, label you. Jesus says, I take that on the cross for you. It's gone. You never, ever will be called that again. It's gone. All the stuff when you follow Jesus that you've done, past, present, and future, is gone. The confession is not to make sure we get that. That comes, period. The confession frees us from this shame and the pressure of the world, the accusations of the enemy, the lies of our culture, our, the, the lies we, we repeat to ourselves. The gospel frees us of that. It says that Jesus and his power actually comes into our lives and frees us. So, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. As you come today and take these elements, we're going we're gonna to confess our sins here just briefly. Use a prayer that's been prayed for centuries. The Christians have prayed all over the world for centuries, this simple prayer. And then we're going to take these elements in, with an expectancy that there's forgiveness, there's healing, there's restoration, there's connection, there's freedom, there's all kinds of things that Jesus has for us today. And that we're going to experience it because we are, are stepping out from behind the cardboard cutout as, as much as we know how in this moment and saying, this is who I am, Lord. I'm going to let, I'm begin, with your help, I'm going to begin to let people know this is who I am. With all the courage that you can give me, I'm going to begin to live out of my new identity in you as a beloved child of God and not what I was in the past. You died to give me that. When we pray things in Jesus' name, we're praying just so much. It's not a magic password, right? It's not a pen to get into something. It is Jesus brings us to all that God has. And we pray in his name. That's what we're asking. It's a way of saying it succinctly. So won't you stand with me? And we're going to confess our sins. And then uh, if the people who are going to help us with communion, if you guys could just come and grab the stuff and stand there so everybody's ready. And, and by the way, during as we were worshiping, I, there's, there's four people, maybe more than this, who I think have physical ailments. I, I, I believe God might already have touched you and healed you, but you felt something in your body. I want to encourage you, when, when God begins to touch you in some way, respond. Faith is always a response. Respond in some way. Uh, there's somebody who has a problem with left, there's ligaments in your wrist, and it's on the inside of your wrist. It's not on the, that's this side, it's on this side. I think it's your left wrist. Uh, there's somebody, I saw a picture of a neck brace. 
Now, I don't know if you've worn a neck brace, but you're having some kind of problems with your neck. Somebody's having problems in their toes. Toes, excuse me. Like your toes. There's pain in your toes, not just your foot, your toes. And someone, I don't know what a stress reaction is, but somebody here has had a stress reaction. You know what that is? As you come forward here today, I, I just want to encourage you that, that, to expect the Lord to touch you. Okay? So here's the prayer we pray. I'm going to repeat a phrase. You pray after me. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we've done and by what we've left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Now, as you take these elements, I bless you that you're forgiven of your sins and you're washed and you're cleansed. And may the healing that the promise says comes when we confess begin to be released in this room into your bodies, into your souls, into your relationships, into your finances, into every dimension of your life as you've confessed your sins in Jesus' name. So come and take the Lord's Supper. And afterwards, we're just going to have some folks up here who, uh, if you want to start with confessing your weaknesses first before you get to your sins, feel free to just come and confess a weakness, something you're struggling with. And uh, we're going to pray and, and ask God to help you.